Welcome. I'm Dr. Vinay Prasad. I'm a hematologist oncologist, and I'm associate professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. In my professional life, I see patients, I teach trainees, and I do research in healthcare policy. This is Plenary Session. Plenary Session is a podcast at the intersection of medicine, oncology, and health policy, and you're listening to Season 3. On this week's episode... I'm back in plenary session, video edition, joined via Zoom by Mani Moyudin. Mani is a great, a great asset to the field of multiple myeloma. He is graduating from the University of Kansas Hematology Oncology Fellowship. He's starting a faculty job at Utah. He's going to focus on multiple myeloma, and he's going to make it great again. You know, normally every week you hear me say, if you're a fan of this show, go support us on Patreon. You get access to the slides. I got something new to say this time. I think the good old days are over. We're living in a unique time where people are very happy to extinguish voices and ideas that they deem unfit for consumption. And so I personally have gone on Patreon. I've supported a number of people who I listen to, the podcast that I love, and I'm encouraging you to do the same. The only way we can combat this growing force of illiberalism is to support with our dollar bills podcast we enjoy. So that's my plug. Mani, it's great to see you. It's great to see you. Pleasure is mine. Thank you. Boy, um, you know, um, it was a few months ago, I think, maybe even about a year ago, that uh, I think you reached out to me. Um, you had followed the podcast. You, one of the few people who've read the book Malignant, <laughs> few people, um, and uh, and you you said, you know, let's let's take some of these ideas and let's focus on myeloma. Let's spin them out a little bit. And we've been working on stuff. We've been staying busy. Um, and we're going to talk about some of that. But I wonder if you might talk about, I don't know, um, it sounds like some of these ideas struck a chord with you, but you'd always been feeling this way. So I wonder if you might talk about, yeah, your feelings yeah. in, in oncology. So, you know, so going through residency, there, there's a lot of hype. And like, until you start oncology fellowship, you you don't know what is true and what isn't true. So like, I came with these expectations that, you know, we've like made dramatic advances in cancer and we have in some ways, but like I came on a high, like, you know, that all these targeted treatments are doing great. Like immunotherapy is changing the field for like every single cancer. And like, that's what I would tell when I, when I was interviewing for rest for fellowship, that's what I would tell people. And now I'm like, wow, I would naive. And then <laughs> there was this big discord when I started fellowship and I saw all the, the death and the suffering and the hype. Um, and then it really, like, I got very reflective, um, about all of that. And then reading your book and then reading some other books as well, like Azra Raza's book, The First Cell, um, like it, like it really struck with me and it, it told me about, you know, there's a lot of things we're doing wrong. Um, we, you know, and like, I think that we're just like, so mesmerized by, you know, novel mechanism of action or, you know, just a novel pathway. And like, there's less focus on like quality of life, less focus on whether it's actually making people live longer. So yeah, so like when I heard the podcast and then when I read the book, I was like, wow, this does resonate with me. Um, and then, yeah, like I saw that you and then Aaron Goodman for that matter, you guys were tweeting about like the same things that I was thinking about. So I was like, wow, we should all get together and uh, you know work on a few projects. So I'm glad I reached out. I mean, and I joined Twitter like back in June and other, I think this is the only good thing that's come out of Twitter. <laughs> I would say the same too. 
it's been all regrets that and i guess you you sort of find out if there's something new um but other than that yeah i do regret because otherwise i've been off social media and i've been a happier person um since i've been off but yeah no that's um, yeah there was just a, a big feeling of disillusionment um at you know how much hype there is and um like what our priorities are and how we're so vulnerable to being like being swayed by these like big fancy um you know words that we hear so yeah it resonated with me mm, that's a uh, that's uh, that's nice of you to say um i uh, i also like uh azra raza um and and her work i think you know um the reason i like her is i think we we agree very much on what the problem is um and then where we disagree is how to solve it um but that's a that's a fair disagreement i think totally fair um mm. and i'm also a big fan of aaron goodman um he came out initially guns blazing and i was like <laughs> oh i've missed this passion and energy i hadn't seen it in a few years um just excoriating selenexer which i mean i think is a legitimately uh, uh, a drug that legitimately deserves criticism um and now he's pivoted rather gracefully to being sort of the 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 great educator i mean i think he is um self-called papahim and uh he's got some really nice um educational modules but yeah the three of us have have worked on some stuff so why don't we talk about um this pa- I, i can't release this until the uh, the paper drops um but this paper is coming and it's coming uh in the lancet hematology um that has that's an ae for you it's ae hematology it's <laughs> the proper spelling so i wonder if you might walk us through this paper what did we look at for sure so i guess the brief background to this paper is that so as a fellow i would see all of these like three drug versus two drug uh, trials and you know i and all if I, i would ask like faculty members and they'd be like oh so you know two drugs were the standard of care at the time this trial was designed and i was like hmm okay and then i saw aaron goodman and you tweeting about this right where like aaron had clearly de- delineated when the results for a certain trial came out and then you know that same control arm was used a few months later for another trial so i was like we should systematically put this to test so what we did in this study is that we did a systematic review so we looked through the last 10 years of myeloma randomized control trials in the united states and we chose to focus on the united states because as you know quite well the standard of care varies differently in in different countries um and we can talk about how that's manipulated but you know so three drugs is is a standard of care now in the us for myeloma for newly diagnosed and for rare refractory so we looked at all trials in the us and we found about 49 um you know discrete randomized control trials some of which are resulted some of which are still enrolling um and then what we did was is that we assessed the quality of the control arm now this is similar to some of the work that you've done previously which um in the one that was published in jama mm-hmm. oncology and what we looked at and we used a rather simple criteria we used that has the control arm been previously um like beaten in a randomized control trial um and if like the the control arm had been beaten and that was known prior to the start of enrollment of the trial you know that was recorded separately then we also found you know recorded whether you know so a trial has already started enrolling and then a few months down the road the control arm is shown to be inferior in another trial we also separately recorded all the instances where that happened mm. um yes okay so um so so what you're saying is um control arm is it the best available standard of care it had to run in the usa 
right. and you're separating two things, things we knew were inadequate when we started the trial and things we knew that were inadequate sometime during the trial. That's what you're yep. looking at. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I think it's fascinating. Um, and, and I guess the only thing I will add for the listeners to realize is, um, you're right, um, Talal Halal, um, who is a uh, faculty now in Mississippi, we looked at this kind of broadly in, in gem oncology. Um, we didn't take this added step that you're taking, which is um, during the course of the trial, did something, did you have new information? And the reason that matters is, you know, you can imagine you're randomizing people one-to-one, then five months into the trial, you get some new information that your control arm is actually inferior to some other standard of care. And immediately in your practice, you're probably pivoting. You're no longer giving that two drug combo. You're pivoting to a three drug combo, for instance. Um, and except for the patients you're enrolling on the study, because the study is not putting in a protocol amendment to switch the control arm. Now, some people might push back and they'll say, well, you know, I can't expect everyone to do these protocol amendments. But the flip side is, well, you know, what if this were your mother or father? Would you really want them to get that control arm when you know it is inferior to something else? And, and that really ought to be the control arm of the study. And the other thing I'd say is, well, your trial is not going to answer a relevant question by the time it results because the control arm is no longer that. Um, so that's the way I would push back on it. Um, and um, okay, why don't you unpack these two things? Um, what you um, what you found, uh, what were the results? Sure. So amongst those 49 trials, so seven of those trials, the control arm was clearly inferior even before the trial had started. And I guess one of the more egregious examples of this is the Boston trial, which you know we, we talked about extensively with the <laughs> Nexer Bortex versus Bortex, where you had a like you had almost two years where a doublet, and I'm not even talking a triplet, a doublet had shown superiority to bortezomib dexamethasone. And indeed, that trial has now gone on to show an overall survival benefit as well. Um, but like, so like that is a pretty like egregious example, but there were several other examples as well. And there are some examples that where, you know, Palmdex is, you know, Palmdex has been beaten up repeatedly and it continues to be a stepping stone for all trials. Like in all new myeloma drugs have to like stomp upon Palmdex before. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so, there were, so we found seven trials. Um, and, you know, sometimes it was a matter of a few months, but sometimes it was years. Um, and then we found an additional nine trials um, where the control arm, you know, was found to be inferior during enrollment. And in our discussion, you know, we, 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 we give a nuanced, um, you know, we try, to, we try to be balanced about it because it is complicated. Um, you know, there's a, it, it's not that easy, like changing your protocol midway. Um, but it should be easier, right? We should make it easier. We should serve our patients better. Um, and, you know, if it's just a matter of a few months, then that's fine. But there are a few examples where, you know, let's say the study that compared pembrolizumab, uh, lenalidomide, and dexamethasone versus lenalidomide and dexamethasone. Now, technically- Bellini, is that Bellini? No, no, so that's, uh, that's the keynote. I think it's 185. Oh. Bellini is the one where- oh, It's venetoclax. It's venetoclax, obviously. Okay. So this study, it- started enrolling like two months after SWOG 077 resulted. Okay. Yeah. Now SWOG 077 is, you know, it's a pretty famous trial. That's where of VRD. Course. VRD versus RD, the famous cooperative group study. Yeah. Right. So the, so there are two things, right? So, so yes, on paper, yeah. Like at the time, you know, you started enrollment, like, you know, yes, SWOG 077 had not resulted yet, but everybody was still using a triplet. Like, even though we didn't have official results, like, yeah. you know, if you look yeah. at registry data, like people were using triplets. Yeah. And then, so two months later, SWOG 077 results, 
but the trial continues in enro- enrollment yeah. for like 90% of the time that the trial was enrolling it was enrolling onto an inferior control arm and then as Aaron Goodman I-, I love his tweets he pointed out very clearly on twitter that this was a trial where the control arm was hurt and the intervention arm was hurt. I was about to say they're hurt even more yeah <laughs> it's the only trial where both arms were inferior to the standard of care <laughs> you couldn't even beat lendex and it just goes through <laughs> You know, like there's, there's. Wait, should we explain that? It's because the keynote study was halted for futility, increased death. That's correct. Yes. Um. And so yeah, both in the newly diagnosed and relapsed refractory setting, pembrolizumab yeah. you know, did not show a benefit, and in, indeed, like there there was uh, more toxicities. So it just goes to show that you know there's a need for improvement, and you know I haven't personally designed a large trial. I've only made a created a small trial here, but like it's it's a complicated process, right? And I think that often people start off with good intentions but the system like beats them um you know because you need to get funding and you need to go through so many steps so the aim is not to point fingers at particular people but the mm-hmm. aim is to like generate discussion so we can change the system and make it better for our patients um because they deserve that for us like it's as you mentioned earlier like you'd want to enroll your mom or your your dad if they had myeloma in this trial and then one thing which like you know I, i think it's very important for us to highlight is this is not unique to myeloma um like this hasn't been looked at specifically for other cancers but if you and i were to do that we would find the same findings you know we find that in renal cell cancer we find that in lung cancer as you pointed out recently you know where like crizotinib keeps getting you know, used repeatedly it's like or chlorambucil for cll for like yeah. years um So it's a recurring problem and then you know the then we get these results and then we don't know what to do with them or they're not applicable to our patients. So it's yeah it's just a complicated mess. let me push on some of these things. I mean the one irony of the Boston trial is that no self-respecting oncologist in Boston would have put patients on the control arm. It's it's misnamed. It should be called I don't know. Um it should be called the um uh i don't know what country where that it was was an acceptable standard of care but it certainly wasn't boston the city of boston um the other point i always want to make is that these trials inform no nation what do i mean by that um you might say well for the nation where uh, vd is the standard of care where bortezomib dex is the standard of care well now you know selenex or bortezomib dex is superior well i'm sorry if you're in a place where um you have to give bortezomib dex because you can't afford lenalidomide or dera um you're certainly not going to be able to afford selenexer so these trial results don't help you there because this drug is just as unaffordable as the drugs you already can't afford nor does it help us here because this isn't how we treat patients in this country so it helps no nation i always want to point that out that yeah that is so true and you know we're going to have another paper coming out soon which sort of talks about post protocol therapies and like that's the messed, messed up part right because these because after the trial ends like you know the control arm doesn't really get to the intervention and uh it you can't it, say it, too much about it that's also embargoed exactly it's a complicated discussion um come back we'll do another segment on that um yeah. but that that's another but i guess yeah. the one really important point which i really want to highlight is like so like you know advocates will be like so like you know if you, people want to use dera up front right And like so people in the United States are going to say oh you know adding daratumumab up front shows a overall survival benefit but that data is from countries where people don't get daratumumab upon progression so they'll get it frontline as part of the trial and they won't get it wait so and I- and that that trial you're you're talking about Maya that's dara rd versus rd 
So the, the so the one I've strong so Maya so far it also seems that the control arm has not been getting data at forestry labs. Exactly. But yeah. Okay. About um, Alcyon, which is data VMP versus VMP. I which, see. Uh, okay. A, Go on. Yeah. Already has an OS benefit, by the way. Yes. Only ten okay. percent of the patients in the control arm got data to them about. And 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 if you can afford Dara VMP, why aren't you giving VRD? Uh, you know. Yeah, that's that's a, yeah, that's a totally different debate. I agree. But yeah, so we're sort of like yeah, that's another topic we're working on. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's 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 a, it's a mess. <laughs> well, this feeds into what my my third point was going to be a call, uh, which I've written here on this piece in this napkin that I'm writing on. Uh, does not speed. Um, what do I mean to say? Proponents of these randomized control trials that do not inform the US nor global settings, their argument is that we need to do these studies to speed drug availability to patients. We have to run a straw man comparator arm because that gets a fast result so we can move the drug up accordingly. But the point I wanna make is, I believe in almost all of these instances, these drugs were initially made available based on response rate. The very first time the drug was approved, it was because it generated a response rate. That's true for DARA. That's even true for Selenexor, even, you know, the storm data, um, at which, you know, we can talk about, we can be critical of that, but it was true for these drugs. Once the FDA has approved the drug in the multiply relapse setting based on a response rate, you already have a path to the drug. Every subsequent randomized controlled trial has to ask the question, when in the sequence of therapies is it better to give this drug? Where does it add value? And if you're running those trials with control arms that are not what you would give otherwise, you don't really answer the question. Like, I really don't know. I mean, we can have this discussion, the honest discussion, which, which is like, you know, there certainly is going to someday be a patient where we think Selenexer is a, a reasonable choice. Sure. But, but where? Who? We don't know. We have no idea who that person is. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And like, so the problem is, is that Cariofarm is now designing a trial where they're going to compare Selenexer, Palmdex versus Palmdex. And again, that doesn't help us because we don't use Palmdex for like, unless patients are really frail. So like, honestly, even if they were to use, and I just tweeted about this today, even if the, if you were to use cyclophosphamide Palmdex versus, you know, Selenexer Palmdex, even that would generate a lot more meaningful information. Um, Because cyclophosphamide has activity, it's underutilized, it's cheap. Like, I mean, if nothing else, just compare it with that. Like, yeah, but but I think Selenex or Palmdex would lose to cyclophosphamide Palmdex. I think that's what they worry about. But that's that's important to know. Yeah, and then so and then another thing. This is my my impression is you know, how, how bold the company is in designing trials speaks to how confident they are about their, their drug. And so if you look at Belantumab, okay? So, and again, it's a bigger, I think Belantumab is made by GSK and they have a lot more yes. money. But like, so they're comparing, um, so they're comparing at first relapse, they're comparing Dara Velcade Dex versus Belantumab Velcade Dex. So they're going big, you know, they, so they, I mean, it tells you that they have confidence in their drug that even if it fails, they would have tried. And if it actually succeeds, then yeah, we'll use Belantumab, you know, earlier. Um, the, so like, it just speaks to how, the, you know, how confident they are about their own drug working. That's and like a, all of the trials, I'm so sorry, interrupted you. All, no, of their, no, no. Go on. all of their drugs, like they com- even if they do compare to Palmdex, they compare a single drug or, or a doublet to Palmdex. Nowadays, we're not comparing triplets to Pondex anymore, right? Yeah. Like the, even Belantumab has a trial against Pondex, and that's, you know, Belantumab versus Pondex. The new trial for 1114 myeloma, that's Venetoclax Dex versus Pondex. Like, what is a triplet versus doublet, you know, with a Pondex comp- as a control going to tell us? It's, it's really, 
useless and it's a disservice to our patients. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't know how I could ethically in the United States give a fit patient POMDEX um, knowing it's been, I guess like a four month PFS on average. It's, it's, yeah, the travesty. Dara Velcade Dex versus Balantamab Mafidotin Velcade Dex. I like it. The only thing that's going to give me pause is if I learn that 70% of the people in frontline got Dara RD. That's the only thing that's going to give me pause. However, um, you know, it's still better than some of these other trials. It's still better than some of these other trials. Um, uh, I mean, let's be honest. Let, let me just pick your brain a second. Let's see if we're on the same wavelength. You've got a new myeloma patient in your clinic. Let's say they're, I don't know, 78, trans, truly transplant ineligible. Um, what frontline regiment you want to know their cytogenetics or not? Or does it even matter to you? you want, what frontline regiment are you going to give them? Well, if they're 78 and if they're, if they're frail. Let's I, say they're not frail. Let's say they're, they're hardy, but they're not transplant eligible. Yeah, that's a good question. So I guess- so or, first, or, or start with they're frail. They're frail. You can take that. I will say, so we don't have randomized data that compares DRD yes. versus DRD. All right. So that's DARA Revlim Index versus Wildcat Revlim Index. Again, we don't have randomized data that compares these head to head. But if you do take a, a, a fine look at each of the trials and, and you compare the populations and you compare the toxicity profile for an old frail patient, I do think that that is one instance where giving DARA tumumab upfront and not as part of PACORD, but as DARA Revlim Index based on the mild trial. I think that is a situation where I would use it. And that's because we have data that, you know, neuropathy is pretty bad, right? Like you, you don't, you want to avoid neuropathy. Um, there's some newer data out there that um, patients receiving Velcade uh, are more likely to fall um, and they have, you know, adverse events as a result. So that is one situation, yes, where I'll probably feel it's justified the costs and all of the other factors to give maybe DRD. But for all other things, I think like, we have no strong convincing evidence that anything is, is better than VRD. Yes. Okay. Um, we have, there's, and like, you know, there's all these implications where if you use deratumumab up front, then at the, at the first relapse, you don't have deratumumab in your pocket anymore. And yeah, that's I, what I think, and there are people who can, you know, there's, there's a, there's, we can debate about this endlessly. There's a lot of, there, there, there's a big school of thought with good reason. That the first, you know, the first treatment you have is when you're going to get the the best remission and the only chance at a cure, because there are 10 to 15% of patients that are cured, right? By cure, meaning their disease doesn't come back. And that's the only way we achieve that is with a transplant as of right now, like mel nothing beats melphalan 200, you know? Um, so there are people that, you know, that will say, and they have some justifications that the first treatment you have is, is your best shot at it. But I will say that overall, um, I'm hesitant to use, you know, DVRD until we get more data, until oh, we get yes. overall survival data. With appropriate crossover. With appropriate crossover, yeah. that's correct. Um, and then Griffin, is a, it's, a, it's a very excellent proof of concept, but it's a small study with uh, endpoint of um, SCR, right? It's not powered for MRD. It's not powered for OS. Um, so, yeah, so that's, so that's the one situation for an old frail patient. I do think DRD will probably be more tolerable. Is it better? I don't, I don't know. You don't I don't know that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, and yeah. And I wonder who, where this literature on falls is coming from, but okay. Okay. I see your point. Yeah. I guess. Okay. But, but let's say we both agree on one thing. VRD. Most people are getting that for initial treatment. VRD upfront. Um, and we, and, and it sounds like you also, you lean towards, uh, auto and CR1. 
um, you lean that way for the person who can take it. You know, even that is debated on, you know, the Michelle Atal data, the CLGB study. We could talk about that another, but that's going to be a long conversation. Let's put that aside. Then in relapse, let's say you gave him VRD, majority of your patients are getting VRD. Um, they re, um, you're going to put them on Revlimid maintenance after their auto. Um, they relapse. And then now you're thinking of a daratumumab containing regimen. Um, for sure. Okay, me too. That's so that's where we are. Um, Carfilzomib frontline veto for me. Um, you know, I need more data to be persuaded that it has a role in the frontline setting. There's weak data. It's all really it's all weak data. Where yeah. you know some people for they stratify for high risk cytogenetics, they'll use Carfilzomib rev, uh, revdex as opposed to Welkid revdex, which I mean it isn't really strong data, but you know there there are schools of thought that will use KRD for high risk myeloma. Exaz yeah, exazomib maintenance instead of revlimid maintenance. That's another so, example of a control arm that's beneath the standard of care, huh? That's correct. The bulk of that trial was uh, was in, enrolled, and that in the United States after we already knew that Revlimid yeah. prolonged survivor, and uh, and yeah, I mean, and that trial has shown a PFS benefit, but we don't have an OS benefit yet, so it's not even approved from a regulatory standpoint. The one good thing about the FDA is, at least for maintenance for myeloma, they want a OS benefit before. Um, they give approval. So like kudos to them for that. At least they're, they're keeping the bar high for that one. Yeah, but don't worry, the NCCN will help them out there. Uh, and then um, if your patient is 414 post-auto, are you going to do uh, Velcade Revlimid maintenance? So I believe, and that's the standard of care is that you should have a PI as part of your maintenance. Mm -hmm. um, Based on what? So based on weak data, again, <laughs> there's, there's yeah. data, the, the, the most widely quoted data is, uh, pro, is the Emory experience by Ajay Nuka. And again, that's like a 45, 45, 50 patients. And like they had excellent PFS. That was triplet maintenance, like VRD excellent. maintenance. Um, I think most people are, are comfortable dropping the DEX. Like, I mean, giving DEX for a period of years is pretty toxic and hurts quality of life. But I will say that yes, most people um, would give, um, and 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 I do think again, again the data is not like super strong, but you know the biology and all like it kind of makes sense like for four fourteen having PI on board as a maintenance strategy. Um, yep. But I'll admit that we don't have randomized data that it's better than lenalidomide maintenance. Yes, and that's a, I just want that admission on the record. I do. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I know our time is almost up, um, and I have to skedaddle, uh, uh, but. Um, okay, let me summarize, and then let me see if you have anything to add. The summary is, new paper, out now, Lancet Hematology. Um, Mani is, is, has taken the lead on this, and we're looking at control arm quality and randomized control trials of multiple myeloma. We discover, um, we discover that many studies are using suboptimal control arms at the start. Many more are using suboptimal control arms along the way. Um, this is the study we did that little bit on authors. Oh, yeah, I was going to bring that part because that okay. was the one part we hadn't discussed, but yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. So this was something uh, that I peppered you to do, pushed you a little bit to do this. Okay. So what did you find with the authors? Yeah. So it's fascinating, right? So about 75% of the time, um, there was an overlap in, in, in the authors and like the vast majority of the time, the first or the last author of the previous study that had proven inferiority was the same first or last author <laughs> that designed this new trial. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, it, let me it, just, it, let me just emphasize that to the listeners, why that matters so much. I mean, you, uh, you can't say, you know, you didn't know these other results when you were the author of the other results. <laughs> what are you talking about? You knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. And yet this is still the control arm. Oh, that's a, that's a dagger. 
yeah, it, uh, yeah, it's frustrating. And um, yeah, it, it, I mean, it just highlights the need for, for improvement, for better processes, um, for reform of the FDA, because we often use this as an excuse, right? We're like, oh, the FDA like allowed this control arm. We like hide behind the FDA. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, I think the entire system needs reform. It's always like, yeah, I, I, I think that that is often used as an excuse. Um, or, or sometimes they push it even further. They say, the FDA told me to do this. I was like, you know, no, that's not what they did. The FDA allowed you to get away with this and you seize them on that opportunity. Um, yeah. Mani, this is, a, this is a paper that I think people, you know, they should really read. Um, it was an exhaustive effort. Um, it's out now in Lancet Hematology, control arm quality, overlapping authors, a lot of really important issues to grapple with in oncology. Um, no matter how you feel on this topic, I think we all have to grapple with these issues. Um, you'll be back to talk more because we're going to look into post-protocol care. We're going to look at a whole bunch of other issues um, sure. and you will be back. Uh, you'll be back for more installments. We'll take, we'll, and eventually we'll make myeloma great again. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for having me. I, I really enjoyed this. You've been listening to Season 3 of Plenary Session. Plenary Session is produced by Kiana Klossner. Music by Ian Straley and Audrey Tran. The views expressed on Plenary Session are those of whoever said it and no one else. Plenary Session is not medical advice. Follow us on Twitter at plenary underscore session. Until next time.